0: You're listening to Bedroom Beethovens, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies, documenting growth through their 10,000 hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. It's the Bedroom Beethoven
1: Podcast.
2: Whoa, you just blew my mind because nobody talks about that shit.
0: <laughs> thank you for this like I was looking forward to this chat man I love your interviews I thank
2: you for what you're doing like it's excellent and um, people can continue to learn the stories of, the, of these uh, bedroom Beethoven's
0: um how did you find out about this are you oh my god having something like this to shed light on 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 us is amazing like we really need this documentation So people like you are definitely needed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 60 of the podcast.
2: My guest this week is... My name is Andre Anjos. I I have a project called RAC. I've been doing it since 2007. My first client was a band called The Shins. I think I've done maybe 250 plus remixes at this point. I've uh, remixed everybody from like for like Lady Gaga and Bob Marley and I don't know. It's a, it's like a really long <laughs> eclectic
0: list. Drums are going tonight. She hears only whispers of some quiet conversation. He turned to me as if to say, hurry, boy, it's waiting. Hey, Grammy Award winner stop by the podcast from time to time. It happens. RAC mixes... Uh, embody a unique aesthetic built on emotion and nuance man it's a joy to have him here but hey when did Toto's africa become our unofficial anthem it's a song that's ridiculous by definition it's an 80s ode to africa by a bunch of la rock dudes who never even set foot in the place but something about this song speaks to our moment and weezer scored their first hot 100 hit in years with this cover, responding to a widespread online fan petition. And here is RAC's remix, which I think is even better than that version. I mean, you'd think or hope that the song would have been forgotten by now, but there's nothing phony about the desperate longing of Africa, which is why it's become a timeless pop standard. That's also why it isn't going away anytime soon. In the America of 2020, all roads lead to Africa. Hope everyone's washing their hands and staying safe out there. Because in these times of need, content creators need your support the most, and you can do so by heading to patreon.com slash Beethoven's and give a buck or two to support what I do. Hell, even RAC is opening a Patreon soon. It's just a great avenue to support. So thanks for tuning in. I'm overjoyed to bring you episode 60 of Bedroom Beethoven's We Ain't Slowing Down. So whether you listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or YouTube, I truly appreciate it. Stay safe out there, everyone. Yeah, well, I mean, they say, you know, don't meet your heroes, but, you know, like you said, we've talked before and you were very generous with your time to promote your second album. You even put me on the VIP list at one of your shows, man, so I'm very overjoyed to be able to get the chance again to sit down and talk.
2: Nice, nice. Uh, What what show was that? That was a while ago. Um,
0: Yeah, it was at the Empire Control Room in Austin. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would have been very jarring if you were a jerk. It's like, hey, the guy who collaborated with Hillary Duff last month is a real dick. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't sound right, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's funny to even like be talking about touring at this point because <laughs> that we're. We're in the we're in the midst of some uh, big big turmoil in the music industry where nobody knows if any tours are going to be happening for the next like year. Or so
0: <laughs> yeah, Portland Portland has uh, like fifty confirmed cases of corona and yeah. Uh, I, you're a lot of people's Tom Hanks, a lot of people's Idris Elba, so we don't we don't want you to get sick, man.
2: Oh, I'm staying home. No worries. Uh, I, it's funny, like how actually well prepared I am for this because I've been living this lifestyle for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, I mean, you know, obviously I'm I'm concerned like everybody else, but it's like I'm maybe um, somewhat comfortable in this, you know just because I I sort of live a a solitary confined studio lifestyle.
0: (laughs) Well, well, let's talk a little bit about how this lifestyle came to be. You didn't really start taking music serious until you were like a freshman, maybe sophomore in high school.
2: My my parents got me into like piano lessons when I was a kid and, and like I was into it, but it it was always about like learning what other, like it was learning like how to play like twinkle, twinkle, little star, like, you know, like really childish music, you know? And it just didn't really appeal to me. And, you know, my, my my parents are missionaries. So like I grew up in, in kind of a conservative environment and I wasn't really, I didn't have access and I wasn't really allowed to listen to music that wasn't, you know, religiously oriented. So, <laughs> so, you know, my, my, my interest in music was, was kind of like, I was interested in it, but I didn't have access to it, if that makes sense. So yeah, by the time I, I hit, you know, like high school ish, that whole phase is a little blurry, but um, you know, I I became like pretty interested in like Nirvana, like it's a, it's almost like I had like these contrabands, you know, CDs and well cassettes really uh, <laughs> to date myself. Yeah, so like my friends and I would trade these these cassettes in like Nirvana, like Marilyn Manson, and like Corn and like Deftones and like stuff like that. And um, I got you know I kind of got into it from there, and you know during my kind of rebellious phase, just started learning how to play these riffs uh, on my guitar and, and, and things like that. So that, that was sort of what, what got me into it at, at that point, you know, growing up in Portugal and, and um, being half American and like sort of never quite fitting in, 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 either country or, or any place. Cause I went to like, I think like 13 different schools. So, so like I was like constantly moving and constantly you know, changing friend, friend groups. So like, I found like music to be sort of this constant in my life and like a form of expression that would sort of transcend all of that. It was sort of my own thing. Something kind of crazy happened in my life a couple years ago where, again, I was not aware of this at all. You know, uh, I got, you know, uh, nominated for, for, uh, two Grammys. And then like on the second time I won and when I won, I didn't realize this, but I became the only Portuguese person to ever win. So it's like kind of a weird, very surreal moment. <laughs> Whereas like I was suddenly representing like an entire country or something. And Yeah, you're the poster boy. And like I know I, I like I was no I had no concept of this. Uh, like even when I got nominated, I had no idea this this is even a possibility. So it was just kind of a weird, weird, surreal moment. And uh, you know, that morning, like I was like on the news and like, I was like doing all these, all these interviews and in Portuguese
0: too, which is kind of interesting. Cause it's like pretty rusty. <laughs> wow. You've come, you've, you've come a long way from, from your band believe for sure. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: That's like a whole, that's a whole different <laughs> thing. But, um, uh waking up you know slightly hungover <laughs> after winning
0: <laughs> and
2: like like getting a phone call is like you're live in 5 4 3 2 it's like oh my god here we go
0: like why do you think at the time people weren't doing indie rock remixes because hip hop was thriving in that department i mean uh did he even claim that he invented the remix which was bf <laughs> right, e. right, right, Perry yeah. or something there was obviously a niche and it was kind of like this light bulb moment i w- i wish i could sit here and be like yeah i had this grand vision for it but
2: like the truth is i didn't you know it was just like a
0: kind of a lucky thing. I
2: was just doing my own thing. Like I, I, I wanted to do remixes that in my eyes helped the song or sort of gave it, showed it in like a different light or like it was, yeah, it was like, it felt like I want to do what was appropriate for the song. And like, you know, if you have a dance song and, you know, I think in that situation, the appropriate thing is to do another dance song, you know, another dance type of remix, but if you're taking an indie rock band, like the shins, Uh, or whatever, you know, like, real estate, or, you know, I've actually never remixed real estate, but like, just giving out an example of like an indie rock band, or like two door cinema club, or like something like that, that is just not dance music. And like, you try to slap a beat on that. It's like, is that really the most appropriate thing to do? You know, maybe you can pull it off. But like, I feel like it's kind of a stretch. My my approach is always to do something that was just
0: felt right. I mean, I, I think it's genius. Because if you make a bad remix, it's like, Okay, my career isn't over. People just won't listen. Like when you think of uh, like Jennifer Lopez, the last thing you think about is her remix album. But if you put <laughs> out a bad album, it's like yikes! It's going to fall on your shoulders. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Shins. That opportunity is just that hustle and drive in college. You're just you just cold called the manager and just pitched the idea of a remix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when you can still call people. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: it's like it's just funny cuz they had they actually had like their phone number on on the website and it was you know just like okay cool interesting <laughs>
0: I know you've been you're fumbling around with the idea of, like, what to do with a Patreon, and I think that's it. I think, you know, if you had stories like that or, hey, why don't you go back to LNJ and Hall and and go back to the Yellow House and, and go back to the Whitlock Music Center and, oh gosh, and yeah. <laughs> show people around. You know what I mean? I, like, that kind of stuff would be really cool because, I mean, you mentioned that your parents were missionaries, and, you know, that was a Christian college, and now— the Whitlock Music Center is just a hundred percent gospel. Nobody's sneaking up into the rafters making the type of music you were making.
2: Right, right, right. It it, it is kind of funny because like the you know I haven't been back to that school. Uh, you know I I kind of just went and got my degree. But part of the reason I went there is because um, because of my parents' work and through basic technicality
0: <laughs>
2: of of their mission being based in Illinois, I I had this come. Kind of, I, I didn't go to school for free or anything like that, but like my I have very low you know student loans. So that was that was like a big reason for doing that, but it, yeah the, <laughs> the environment wasn't really conducive to the type of music I was making uh in fact, I remember playing like the local <laughs> this is so funny to me, but like playing the the school would put on like a festival you know every year or something I think it was called like agape festival or something like that, and they had me play they had actually had me d j which was like unheard of in in that school. And um, I was just playing dance. I was playing like Daft Punk and like Basement Jacks and like things like that. And there was literally like a prayer circle in the back. (laughs) Are you serious right now? Like, come on. Like what? Anyway, it's just so hypocritical and like kind of ridiculous. And that's not I don't I I don't want to like paint the school as like this, like really. I mean, they were definitely conservative people there. There was there was all kinds of people there. Um, I met some amazing people, and I met some like real,
0: real, <laughs> real characters. I'll just leave it at that. But <laughs> I, li- I like it though, because if you went to Juilliard, you would have been just another name and num- another number in the system. But because you went to that type of college, you were you were an outlier. You know, you're you're just a, a poor college kid. Uh, you can't afford cable, and yet here you are getting hired to write music for HBO.
2: Yeah, no that. I mean, I think my rent at the time was like 300 bucks. Like, it's like, what, (laughs) you know, it's ridiculous. You know, it's such a small town. I think it's like 7,000 people and that 3000 of those people are prison inmates. (laughs) So, and and it was also like a dry town. Not that that really stopped us, but um, you know, which is also kind of weird that that even exists, you know, like a a town that doesn't sell alcohol within city limits. But funny enough there was like a there was like a drive-through liquor store <laughs> like on the on the on the town line. <laughs> of course there has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody <laughs> somebody figured that one out. But but yeah, so it, it was sort of just like a an interesting environment to where you know, there's really not much else to do, and and you know, the nearest
0: Walmart was like thirty minutes away or something like that. I mean, you so know. so you're doing this work, and I mean, because your rent's so cheap and and the town is desolate, you don't have HBO. So I mean, you're kind oh, of yeah, forced yeah, to yeah. do that work without ever watching the show. And I imagine the same went for nine hundred two one zero, unless you binge that. But I'm going to assume you didn't.
2: I didn't know, so I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't watch that one. Either. Uh, so, so yeah, so. The, the way that that happened was, um, I had already been doing a couple of remixes and had a, had a little bit of a. I didn't have any kind of notoriety, but like, you know, I had a couple of things p- get picked up on Pitchfork and, you know, things like that. And then this guy, Scott Venner, which he was a music supervisor for HBO. I mean, this is his thing. He just like finds these unknown artists and like starts working with them very early on. And he came up with like Pharrell and Chad Hugh and like all these people. So like, he. You know, he just kind of cold emailed me as like, "Hey, um, do you want to do you want to try out some stuff for the show that I work on?" I'm like, "Okay, uh, whatever." <laughs> you know? I was like, I- "I'm, I'll, I'll take on any work at this point," you know. And it uh, turns out it was this show entourage, you know, on HBO, which again I was not aware of because I didn't have HBO. I barely even know what HBO was because I had just moved from Portugal and like we don't have that, you know. And. Yeah, so he just hit me up and said, hey, so we have this scene here, you know, whatever, try this, try that. And I I tried a bunch of stuff. And at first, not a whole lot worked. But you know, I sort of got the hang of it and like, figured out the vibe of the show, he would send me some, some like, copies, like early copies of the show, so I could at least get a sense of what was happening. With Entourage, I did end up seeing it like kind of later, you know. Especially once the music started getting placed, so I was like, okay, like I want to, you know,
0: at least have a better grasp of what's going on. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it works. You know, uh, Bob Odenkirk plays Saul Goodman without he he doesn't watch the show. He doesn't even watch Breaking Bad. He just reads the scenes and kind of trusts that the editing will make it all cohesive. So I think if you're talented enough, you can be effective in your job without kind of doing the. Work. I
2: actually didn't know that that he did that. That's actually really impressive.
0: Yeah, the the director leaves little post-it notes around his dressing room for like little things that he needs to know about the scene before because he won't watch the show. <laughs> that's really funny. So that's kind of like the 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 kind of the around the time like the birth of RAC and the, the first Inception. It wasn't just you and the the brand and the music has evolved over the years. Yeah, I was curious, you know why. Why keep the name? Because let me ask you if, if RAC still serves you. Because the tweets from people saying, like, hey, <laughs> Rena Center, you forgot to deliver my lamp,
2: one star service. Just to give it some context, maybe. So, like, I, you know, when I started in 2007, I, the idea was, I actually wanted to start as a business. The idea was to, like, basically, as, as a, like, remix service. So I had already done a couple of remixes before that for, like, Block Party and, like, I had one of like Chemical Brothers, like things like that. So I'd already done a couple of remixes, uh, like for competitions as well. So like, I knew my way around remixing as like an art form, but, um, and I saw an opportunity is like, okay, we can get paid for this. Like <laughs> start a business. And I, I had a couple other friends that I knew that also kind of were interested in remixing. So it's was like, okay, I'll bring them in, you know, we'll start this, like a kind of little agency or so- something like that, whatever you want to call it. And and uh yeah so it was and you know, i called it remix artist collective I, I pitched it to these artists as a service you know it was like you know when i pitched it to the shins it was like hey you know this is a remixing service you know pay us x amount i forget it's probably like 500 or 800 bucks or something like that you know to do, <laughs> to do a remix and uh so so that that was sort of the initial idea but like right from the beginning it just took off like i hadn't you know I was in bands and like nothing took off like that. Like I was like struggling the whole time. And this is the first thing that really connected in the industry where people actually was like, Oh yes, we want this. And like, suddenly I was like on calls with managers and like had to negotiate contracts. And like, I remember one of the first emails, like they told me, he's like, okay, do you want to do this on spec? And like, what's that? (laughs) Like, I was like, I, uh, and for those that don't know, I assume many people know, but like, for those that don't know, it's like, basically you do it for free and if they like it, they pay you. So I had no idea what that concept was. And, you know, it was just so green. I was really just starting out, but like, you know, as things progressed, it, uh, you know, people just kept asking for me to do remixes. Like I kept pitching them, these other people that were involved, like Andrew and Carl and some of the other guys, but just nobody, people just wanted me to do it. And because it was my own project, I, I was able to sort of maybe by accident, maybe a little bit intentionally sort of create my own sound. And that that started to sort of morph, you know, into its own thing. And, um, and you know, I've definitely at one point considered changing it to something else. I, at some point, even using my own name or like something like that. But it's becomes at this point in time, you know, almost like 13 years into it, like it's just... It's just a moniker. It's just a brand. It's sort of like an umbrella for me to put out music. And it's short and concise. And I have all the usernames. I have sort of just so much time and effort put into that brand that it would be
0: feels like it would be kind of silly to change it at this point. I can see that. I can see that point of view. And, and it's like, you know, so you, you're, you're owning the moniker and, I mean, look at the stuff we've talked about. And I didn't even mention like the Super Bowl placements or you getting married and being able to collaborate with your wife. Everything is just clicking. But after Strangers came out, the hard work is over. The debut is out. But you lost a lot of weight and you had a lot of stress. I
2: don't know if it was like necessarily due to stress. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe partially. Yeah, no, that, that first album was like quite quite the adventure. Uh, so I, I'd been working on that stuff since like 2011. And then the record came out really in 2014. And, and that was a time where suddenly I was like frontman of a project.
1: Tell me, tell me,
2: tell me your
1: problems
2: are here. Uh, before I could kind of hide behind this like idea of a collective and um that was around the time where I just really started to kind of own it for what it was and because it it really kind of was my project and you know there were definitely other people involved earlier on but um you know I was doing maybe 95 percent of the remixes so like I really
0: was doing the bulk of the work I get the stress I get the I get the losing weight part that's that's a lot of nerves
2: yeah and and you know suddenly I'm on tour all the time and everything up until that point we're really up until like 2017 was sort of like an upward trajectory, <laughs> just like constant, just like straight up, you know, um, you know, things constantly growing. Suddenly my SoundCloud had like 5 million followers. I'm like, what is going on? You know, this is really <laughs> this is wild. And, uh, Again, like, you know, I, when I started, like, MySpace is still the <laughs> the platform that everybody was on and, like, going through the whole blog thing. I mean, like, I've gone through so many of these transitions and, and whatever, and it sort of still stuck with it. But, like, when I started putting out original work, that really, oh, my God, it, like, it was insane. It just took off. Like, I, did, I, I was, like, traveling constantly, like, a lot of doors open and... Uh, you know they kind of run the industry so it's like it, it was just kind of interesting to to be a part of that but pretty but pretty stressful <laughs> at the same time
0: but i love it though because uh, that that debut was so successful that you weren't by the time uh your second album came out you had a little bit of autonomy to be a free thinker oh absolutely yeah back when we talked in 2017 there was this big movement using ethereum and using the blockchain to empower artists yeah. and give you guys more money and more autonomy in how you release music get paid and distribute. I know, like, I think we were talking off the record where you're, you're just kind of like this. Uh, you have a lot of hobbies or a technology nut. I know you've been following Bitcoin since it was like at six hundred bucks. Oh yeah, and. After we talked, it went to nineteen thousand, but we don't have a crystal ball, so I'm sure we all (laughs) cried ourselves to sleep regarding our investments. But the last time we talked in 2017, Ethereum was at three thirty, and now it's at a hundred, and we were kind of led to believe that the longer Ethereum was in development, the more time we gave these decentralized networks the more valuable our early adopter mentality would pay off. But here we are. The CEO of Ujo Music is gone. (laughs) Image and Heap kind of backed away from our initiatives of music on the blockchain. So that really just leaves you and Gold Room, right? I can't think of anyone else. I feel like it is important to sort of um, distinguish the sort of
2: price side of it from the actual activity on the blockchain. Because like specifically with Ethereum, um, there's actually still like quite a lot of stuff happening but it's not related to the price you know i mean like the the interest is interest is related to price yeah yeah yeah. from the general public oh yeah the general public has totally tuned out that's that is for sure um like (laughs) they they don't care and and that's i think maybe a positive thing at the moment i think that's positive yeah Yeah. like it okay so like when (laughs) when we last spoke i mean we were like in a period of mania like it was it was insane like it went from ten bucks to like yeah like three hundred to to twelve hundred to thirteen hundred or whatever wherever it topped out. I mean that that was like a kind of an insane period. But like so so we had all these all this interest and like this people we're gonna change the world we're gonna do all this stuff and I don't think the potential has been lost necessarily. But like I think the reality of the where the technology is and the amount of research that is still needed and like the the infrastructure level stuff that still needs to happen. I think people just kind of realize that we're still years away from that. So, (laughs) so I think the price is probably a much more reasonable level at at the moment. But with that said, like I, I I don't like focusing so much on the price because I feel like it's so at at a whim of like so many other things that, that really, I don't feel like it's an accurate representation of like where the technology is and, or maybe it is, I don't know. But like, (laughs) but, but like I, 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 link i look at the space now like with the defi movement and you know a lot of the the music stuff is sort of you know it's sort of halted a little bit but like there there's some interesting projects like saint fame and like a, a lot of stuff happening with like essentially tokenization and like i mean i guess it's a little bit more on the back end on the more on the financial side like the partial ownership of, of catalogs and like things like that there there is some some really interesting stuff happening there but like in terms of like transitioning the music industry to a blockchain or anything like that, I think we are definitely far out
0: from that. Yeah, I love that uh, on the linear notes of ego, you you still thank Spotify. I mean, it's still important.
2: Okay, so like the music industry is sort of its own worst enemy. I grew up during the early two thousands with Napster, and like Napster was the reason I, you know, one of the main reasons why I suddenly had access to music. You know, growing up in Portugal, like I just didn't have anything. I only had access to like very, the very major label releases and, you know, like even something like Radiohead, you couldn't buy in stores. Like you had to pirate it. Like it was the only way, or you can import it from somewhere else. You have to go to Spain, like to get, um, to get records. Which is insane, you know. People just assume that, you know, people take it for granted now. You have access to everything, and that's great. Back in the day, the music industry was like, no, we're going to shut down Napster. You know, it's like, but <laughs> that's the only way you can get stuff. You know, like it, it wasn't that like people were unwilling to pay; is that they just they wanted to have control over it, and they didn't see this coming. That's a roundabout way of saying like, you know, the music industry has continuously shot themselves in the foot at every step of the way. By not embracing new technology, and they're a little bit better now. The f- taking, um, you know, the financial side of Spotify out of the equation as a service,
0: it's pretty solid. You, you know, I I see the little green circle with the three black lines. I click on it. All I have to do is type in three letters RAC, and your whole discography is in front of me. I don't need MetaMask. I don't need all these intermediaries. So I think as as until we make it as simple as Spotify. It's going to be an uphill battle, but you mentioned Radiohead and innovation and and the separation from the financials, and I'll meet you halfway on that. Did experimenting with the release, making Ego a proof of concept, do you think it tampered with the potential of a more successful debut? Now, I don't have the numbers, and I'm definitely not hinting that Ego wasn't a success. I'm just curious that if, you know, when Radiohead came out with In Rainbows, they came out and experimented with a make-your-own-price model, and whenever you buck a traditional record release— it, it's iffy you don't know how it's gonna go
2: i'm super happy with like how it went it was kind of funny <laughs> I, I i'll have this memory of uh you know doing press in japan and you know i was like doing it with like a translator and it was like a moment it was kind of a moment out of like lost in translation and it was just kind of really funny to me and like every journalist was asking about ethereum and like <laughs> trying to explain ethereum through a translator like you know in japanese like it was just like <laughs> it was a little bit difficult um but it, it my, my point is that like i, I was uh I, I, it was a big part of the record in a way even if like i th- i actually don't know how many we did in sales it wasn't like amazing it didn't it didn't it wasn't like a crazy amount or anything like that but like it was uh it, it was more of a talking point and more of like like hey here's a new thing that we can like talk about and like figure out maybe this is viable but like the idea of selling like a, a digital product for a fixed amount of eth or whatever I don't I, I don't think that that's like the way of the future I mean I didn't really think it was then unless it's a very niche group of people that actually want to buy mp3s in this or waves or whatever like it's it's even less so now and I, I don't expect it to ever move back to that like this idea of like owning digital files. I mean, I I think there's a lot of people that would advocate for that, but like, I don't think that that's what most people want. It was actually really funny having like lunch with the Spotify people when they were asking me about Ethereum. (laughs) (laughs) Like they were generally interested and um, you know, they're like, well, what are you doing there? I mean, I don't think they see it as a threat or anything like that. It's just like
0: just yet another technology and, and, and something that can sort of help the ecosystem. Um, So if strangers was a ball of nerves and ego was an exploration of self, what would, what would boy be?
2: Yeah. Boy was an interesting period. I mean, in, in a way it's sort of a continuation of ego because it was, how should I put it? Cause it, it is in its essence, an exploration of self, but it's also like an exploration of a very specific period of time in, uh, you know, when I was, when I was really young and, and growing up in Portugal and, you know, kind of, I kind of alluded to this, like where I didn't have access to music. I was sort of just learning music on my own. Like I didn't, I like there was no filter There was nobody telling me that's bad this is good whatever i was like it was like a very freeing time and i would catch glimpses of other songs on the radio but i never knew what it was i didn't know what the history i didn't know anything about it so it was just very kind of like removed from it and also just sort of just being isolated from the world in general whether that was like sort of through the religious side of it or through you know just where i lived you know not really just kind of pre-internet you know so it, you know, I was sort of exploring that for, for you know, exploring that period of the, like, the, uh, I had these very faint memories of these melodies and things that would come to me. And I, I sort of played into that and, and I just wrote like a ton of music around that. It just, it kind of clicked for me. It was, it was this, like, it felt cohesive. It felt like I was, um, it was, it was a period of like, I mean, even though it took me three years to do, to finish the album, <laughs> like it, it actually was like a very productive period. I just wrote, 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 wrote a lot. So yeah. And, and, you know, then like once I wrote the instrumentals, then, you know, working with all these different vocalists and which funny enough, most of them, I think aside from maybe one or two people, they're all younger than me, like way younger. So sort of like tapping into like a younger energy you know um i like i'm not one of those people that's like oh yeah we got to get with the times you know Get, get get that you know 18 and under demo you know it's like i'm not like i i write music that i care about and like that's the that's first and foremost the most important thing for me there's some people that just are chasing trends their whole career and like i do not care at all turns out that when you work with younger people especially at the beginning of the career they're super hungry and they really want to do the best work of their lives you know and i'm not saying that like older <laughs> older artists aren't like really good at what they do but it's a different phase of your career and i especially after ego like um they're, they're I don't think anything on the record, but like, I, I think a lot of the stuff that was left over, cause you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets left on the cutting table where I, I just didn't release and where people were really not trying very hard. And you know, there were big names and you know, I'm not going to out anybody, but like where people were really complacent and just like, and i was kind of bummed cuz i'm like working with people that i really admired and they're just like not trying at all so it's like you know what i got to change this up I'm, I'm, let me name drop
0: can i name drop <laughs> yeah the, uh, because you're 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 co-producing linkin park records and i mean brad delson has an 8 million dollar home in la so you're creating <laughs> with people who are in a different headspace uh now you're, you're like creating with these younger people like phil yeah, good yeah, yeah. i contacted phil good about working with you and he had great things to say about you Yeah. and that new single is a jam man <laughs> Driving
1: along, saw a cliff That's a pretty big fall I could break a rib And if I drove off I could start again But I won't Side of the road Stretch my neck It's so cold outside I could see my breath and if Hi, this is hero, Phil Good throat, I-, I wrote Stuck on You about three years ago with uh, this production writing duo in LA uh, called The Gifted Uh, We wrote half the song and it was really poppy production and at the time I didn't really know what to do with it because I really liked it but I hadn't finished it and then years later my manager asked me if I had anything I'd want to send to RAC and I've been a big fan of RAC for a long time so I was kind of nervous honestly to send him anything but I sent him this one. Uh, I think I made a stripped version though so it was like just a Rhodes piano and my voice
2: you know the the chorus in that song is just like stuck on you like that's it that's all it is and like it's such a simple idea but it's like a powerful message and like the lyrics the verses like, kind of reinforce that and like just his melodies and everything else like it's all very kind of minimal and
1: board, can't control my mind and then i'm scared I'm holding my breath making it last running our feelings out of from the past when you were so close wish I could go back but i can so he loved it and then a couple of weeks later, basically had the track that is now the final song. You know,
2: I, I had a couple other like big artists like submit stuff and and it just well, I was not feeling it. And, um, you know, these kind of relatively unknown people. And that, I mean, Feel, feel Good is definitely on like, you know, the up and up. Um, so he, he's not like unknown or anything like that. But, you know, he's definitely at the earlier stages of his career compared to some of the other people I've worked with. And Working with him, I mean,
1: working with him is fun i mean it was only over email for a while just kind of talking about the song but he was super friendly and you know it's always nice to meet somebody that you look up to and have them be nice and a real human so yeah basically he did that i had he did the track and then over my demo vocal basically i recorded this demo vocal or what i called the demo vocal and then he was like no i think this is perfect and it's done which I'm really not good at figuring out when something's done so having him tell me that the vocal was just fine was nice I'm just a cost. his production style because it's so honest and clean and it's like clean but not too clean, you know? It's just it, everything fit, feels right but still has a little bit of grit. Um and all of his choices and his chords and drums are really really special, I think.
2: He doesn't overdo it. Like he just does enough and he does it so well that it's simple and effective and it gets to the point and it's super catchy. The same is true for a lot of the other songs in this album. And uh, yeah, it's like I don't know. It was just it was it was really fun. Like I, I felt like sort of re-energized by all of it, and um, like I, I feel like maybe on ego, like I was the one kind of driving the whole thing. And with this, it was I felt kind of like on the same page with a lot of people. Like where they're like, yeah, but uh, uh, let me let me redo this part because like I think it could be better instead of me asking for it, you know. So it's like there there was sort of a lot of self motivation there and. I don't know. It's just like a really positive experience. I'm, I'm like, I'm like super proud of this album, and it. I think it's a turning point creatively for me. And you know, even if like, let's say, let's say the world ends, nobody listens to it. You know, like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still like super proud of it.
0: Yeah. If people are as excited to hear that as I am, I want people to go to store dot rack dot fm and get that. Pink glass vinyl because that's a sexy piece of wax, my friend.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, get get the get the vinyl. No, I'm I'm stoked because we're we're actually doing we're not doing black vinyl at all. It's all it's all gonna be that pink glass. Hell
0: yeah, it's nice. The splatter's nice too. But I'm a vinyl nut, so like I got really excited.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the whole the whole I'm so happy with like the whole artwork behind this. Actually, it's kind of wild. I I I found this guy on Instagram. He's he's uh, this guy Andres Reisinger and. I just loved his work. It's like so good. It's like, he's a 3d artist. It's based in Barcelona. Just amazing, amazing stuff. It's like architectural, not, not your typical album art guy, you know? And I was like, I need to work with this guy. So I, I found a piece of art that I really liked. I just, I just cold emailed him again, going back to that theme, uh, just emailed them and say, Hey man, um, I love this piece. Could I license it from you? You know, just very simple, straightforward. and, turns out he was like a fan <laughs> and like he he's been following my work for a long time and i'm like oh my god this is like wild and he very because he's very in demand at the moment and he was so kind and like really hooked us up and like really did it for like a lot less than like what he's absolutely worth he did the, he basically designed the whole campaign and like we have all this amazing artwork and it's all sort of inspired by the music and and he just got uh I think he got number one in Forbes 30 under 30, which is like insane just the other day. So it's like, he's, he's really, I don't know. I just, I just feel so lucky to, to work with like kind of these talented people that in a very weird way grew up with my work. And again, it was just sort of another happy accident of like, that kind of goes
0: into this sort of more youthful theme of, of the record. You know, when we, when we book this, it was in January. I had no idea the apocalypse was going to happen. But I I am going to put oh, the yeah, tour course, dates in yeah. the show notes. And hopefully everyone washes their hands and we get over this hurdle. Don't be afraid <laughs> to open the blinds. Let the sun shine in. And allow yourself to see musicians yeah. with a group of people. Because uh, $1 per ticket sold is going to be donated to a mental health fund. So it's it's for a good cause. And you get to hear great music.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So, I, I you know, just since we're on the topic of the tour, you know, um, as of right now, I mean, you know, I think everybody in the music industry is sort of in a waiting pattern because nobody really knows how this is going to go. You know, there's a lot of talk of lockdowns and like shutting down cities. And, you know, I think there's a very real chance that we're sort of prepared in, in the eventuality that we aren't able to do the tour. And in that case, we just postpone the dates to later time or something like that. I mean, the tour will happen one way or another. I mean, obviously our hope is that this is going to, and that this is still going to happen and we're still kind of you know, moving in that direction, you know, but, uh, you know, if, if we have, uh, you know, local governments that are like, yeah, we can't, we can't have venues with more than like 10 people, then obviously that's not remotely feasible and probably dangerous. So, you know, we're, we're just going to kind of play along and, and see what happens. But, you know, in, in, in the meantime, you know, there's, there's a lot of, sort of
0: live streams and
2: like things like that other other things that we can do in in the meantime
0: well this time around you're actually not coming to austin but i uh i I hope to catch up with you again we
2: might actually (laughs) oh okay so i'll I'll
0: keep my eyes on the tour dates but if you if you just happen to not come by austin I'm, i'm hoping in three years from now i get to talk to you again and (laughs) i know time is a commodity man i know it's valuable even though we're all sequestered and quarantined but i still you deserve a very heartfelt thanks for me it's been a pleasure and i really just want to thank you for stopping by
2: no of course well no of course thank thank you for having me and thanks for making the time um this is i i really enjoy doing this kind of thing it's like you know a little more long form you actually get to talk about what you're doing as opposed to like quick soundbite you know